The scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. Later, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Welcome again to Lower Manhattan Community Church. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Sunday, the 24th of March, 2013. Uh, As Ryan mentioned, we are uh, in the third week of a series called The Final Hours, uh, talking about the the burial of Jesus. And uh, before we get started, I just uh, have a small request uh, for you guys. You know, usually you just get to show up and it's kind of like a freebie. I have a request this time. Um, As of Wednesday, Tommy and I, my wife, are full term. So we, we still have a few, uh, few more weeks before the due date, but it, it could come any day now. So please uh, just keep us in your prayers. It's our first kind of exciting, a little bit scary. Um, we'll be looking to all of you for wisdom. So please uh, keep us in your prayers. Actually, maybe we need more prayers if I'm going to be looking to you guys for wisdom. <laughs> um, I realized this week that Ryan gives me all the depressing weeks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but I, I was thinking last Easter, I was here this, the same week, the week before, talking about the price of Easter and kind of the, the gory details of the crucifixion, and now I'm back talking about the burial, and I don't know, it's kind of depressing, like the message for today is Jesus is dead, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the message, and we, we tend to skip from the crucifixion straight to the resurrection, uh, but in doing that, we, we skip this kind of strange and confusing time when Jesus Christ was dead. I mean, physically, literally, he was dead. They took his dead body off the cross and brought it to a tomb. And now we know the end of the story. I mean, most of us know the end of the story. Uh, he rises again. Jesus conquers death. But that evening, that, that Friday evening when he was crucified, all day on Saturday, Sunday morning, they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, they laid Jesus in a tomb. Their, their rabbi, their teacher, their spiritual leader, they laid his dead body in a tomb, not really sure exactly what was going to happen. So today I want us to kind of insert ourselves into that situation. Uh, I want to try to find ourselves in that context. And um, specifically to do that, I want us to take this character, Nicodemus, and kind of see the burial through his eyes. And there's, a, there's two reasons why I think Nicodemus makes kind of a, a great case study uh, when looking at the burial of Jesus. Uh, first of all, uh, Nicodemus kind of serves as bookends in the Gospel of John. Uh, he makes an appearance at the very beginning in John chapter 3, Uh, And then he makes an appearance again at the very end uh, in John 19. 
So he's kind of there at the beginning and at the end. And then the, the second reason why I think Nicodemus is a good uh, case study to use is because Nicodemus is a likable guy. He's a, he's a relatable guy. Because uh, most of John portrays the Pharisees and the re- religious rulers as adversaries to Jesus, as his enemies. But here we have Nicodemus, who's both of th- things, a Pharisee and a ruler. But he comes to Jesus humbly, really seeking the truth. So that's kind of the, the plan for today. We're going to walk through um, John 3, and a brief appearance of Nicodemus in John 7. And then those two will hopefully inform Nicodemus at the burial. Uh, and then we'll take some time at the end to kind of draw some conclusions about what the burial means through the eyes of Nicodemus. Uh, so before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you that we can be here together uh, seeking you. Uh, Lord, we really pray for eyes to see, uh, for ears to hear, uh, for a heart to receive you. And uh, God, we come with a a hope and with an expectation that you're going to show up and that you're going to speak a word to each of us. Uh, So Father, I pray that you'd uh, speak through me, really give me the right uh, words to say, and I pray that would resonate in the hearts of each of us. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first of all, the, the three appearances of Nicodemus. Uh, the first one is in John chapter 3, and uh, for those of you who are on the retreat, this is a little bit of a, of a review. We talked about this kind of at length, but in John chapter 3, uh, Nicodemus comes at night to see Jesus. Uh, so we have this, this Pharisee, this religious ruler, he comes under the cover of night, uh, kind of humbly seeking Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, which... Now, it's kind of a term of respect. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God because how else would you be able to do these miraculous things? So he's kind of acknowledging the credibility of Jesus. He's, he's there to, to learn from him. Um, and Jesus kind of gives him a, a bizarre response. He says, this is, a, this is unsolicited spiritual advice. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again or unless he is born from above. And Nicodemus is kind of a, a literal guy. He's like, so you, you want me to climb back inside of my mother's womb? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean, born again? And Jesus, Jesus is like, all right, let, let, me, let me clarify this for you. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit, or, or water and the wind. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Wind gives birth to wind. And the wind blows wherever it pleases. We, we hear it sound, but we don't know where it comes from or, or where it's going. Uh, so it is with anyone who's born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, that, that was your clarifying answer? Like, he, he's confused. He, he, he says to Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know what you're saying. And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. He's, he's kind of rubbing it in here. Uh, we're talking about earthly things, and you don't even understand it. How are we going to understand if we talk about heavenly things? I mean, that's, if that's earthly things, I'm, I'd be pretty confused by heavenly things too. And I can just imagine Nicodemus walking away uh, in the silence of night, kind of scratching his head like, what, what just happened there? And then, then we, don't, we don't see Nicodemus again until uh, John... 
chapter 7. And it's just a, a brief appearance. And at this point, the Pharisees are really kind of out to get Jesus. Uh, he's performing miracles. He's saying these strange teachings like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And some people are believing. Some people don't know what to make of him. But the Pharisees are like, all right, we gotta, we got to end this. So they send the temple guards to go find and arrest Jesus. And uh, after some delay, they come back uh, empty-handed. And the, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, like, well, where is he? We sent you to go arrest him. Where is he? And they say, uh, no one ever spoke the way that this man does. So just, just hearing him teach the, the court guards, the temple court guards, they couldn't arrest him because he teaches with authority. He teaches with, with truth. And uh, the religious leaders don't like this answer. They, uh, they're kind of condescending. They say, don't tell me that he deceived you also. You, you've been tricked by this man, Jesus, too. And then to be even more condescending, he's like, well, look at, look at us. Have, have any of the religious leaders, have, have any of the Pharisees believed this guy? No one has believed him except the mob. That's, that's the word he uses, the mob. The, the easily fooled, kind of silly and cursed mob. They're the only ones who have believed. So, the, so they want to they wanna arrest Jesus. And Nicodemus, I, I can imagine, kind of uh, timidly uh, raises his hand. Uh, well, isn't, doesn't, doesn't our law say that we can't condemn anyone until there's some kind of fair hearing? Like, shouldn't we at least let him tell us who he is and what's he's, what, what he's about? And at this, the, the Pharisees say to him, Ha! Are you from Galilee also? And uh, we, we, could, we might read that and just think, well, does, what does that mean? Like, is, are they saying, are you his neighbor? Are you his friend? But it was intended to be an insult. Are you from Galilee also? He's saying, are, are you from the sticks? Are you a, an uneducated farmer? Are you a peasant like these guys from Galilee? And uh, we talked about this a little bit at the, at the retreat. So, some of you were kind of offended because um, our retreat speaker said that... Uh, if you want to think about how Jesus talks, he, he's kind of like a, like a redneck. Like, hey, how y'all doing today? Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. And some people didn't like that. They said, well, wasn't Jesus the most eloquent person to, to ever live? Well, Scripture kind of verifies this idea that Galileans had a, a strong accent. Uh, when Peter was, was uh, denying Christ, they, they said, your, your, your accent betrays you. They knew he was from Galilee because of his accent. And I did a little more research on this, and um, scholars actually now say that um, in Galilee, kind of the, the guttural sounds of, of Hebrew were dropped. They were, they were like inaudible. So it really was kind of like a southern accent, like leaving off the, the ING. And, I mean, he kind of talked like a, like a redneck, you can imagine. So Nicodemus timidly, like, shouldn't we at least like hear this guy out and say, are you, are you one of those backwards, uneducated farmers also. And at this, Nicodemus kind of sinks into his seat a little bit, and he's silent. And then we get to, uh, to the, third, the third arrival of, of Nicodemus. And uh, this, is, this is a reading from today. I'll just go ahead and read it again since it's kind of a, a short passage. So now in John chapter 19. Later... Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, 
but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. It's funny, in in chapter 7 and then again in chapter 19, John points out it's it's the same Nicodemus. It's that Nicodemus who was there at night in John chapter 3. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking the body of Jesus, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So here we have Joseph of Arimathea um, kind of, I guess, boldly going to Pilate and say, hey, can, can we take the body of Jesus? Um, Nicodemus meets him there at the cross with spices for burial. And the scriptures say that um, Joseph was a secret disciple. So he, he already believed, uh, but was believing in, in, in secret. It doesn't really say about Nicodemus. We're not completely sure. And I mean, this is kind of speculative, but for me, I, I, like to, I like to think that that was kind of the moment of decision for Nicodemus. Like in that moment of crisis, that's where everything that had led up, he finally made the decision uh, to believe. And I want to I talk about kind of the, the actual events of the burial. And it's a little bit hard for us to relate to this um, because probably everyone in this room has had some kind of experience with death, uh, the death of a parent or a grandparent or, or a loved one. Um, but in Western cultures, we don't have the same kind of uh, intimacy with death. And we don't have the, the immediacy uh, with death. Um, in Western cultures, we've kind of um, outsourced the care for the dead. Uh, we hire a professional, and we don't, we don't see what happens behind closed doors. We, just, we see the finished product of a, a nice body in a nice tomb. Uh, that wasn't the case in, uh, in first century Near East. I mean, handling a body was an intimate experience. So here, here we have these two elderly religious leaders uh, taking down the lifeless body of Jesus. And the details are, are not thorough, so I'm going I'm to kind of fill in as best as I see it, and please read on your own and, and see if you think this is accurate. Uh, but the way I envision it, uh, they're taking Jesus' body down. Uh, rigor mortis doesn't set in for a couple hours. So Jesus' body is, is limp, it's, it's heavy, uh, it's, it's surprisingly dense. It's, it's hard to carry. Um, maybe their hands are, are slipping off of Jesus because of uh, the blood and the sweat and the grime of his execution. Uh, maybe they have to set his body down as they make their way to the tomb because they're old and, and it's heavy. Um, maybe their clothes are covered with blood and grime from carrying their load. And this is, this is kind of a gruesome, but uh, maybe the sight of Jesus' lacerated back and his beaten face and his asphyxiated chest, maybe, maybe it made them choke a little bit. I mean, it was, it was not a pleasant job. 
carrying the body of the executed. And the tomb was close by, which uh, was fortunate because uh, they were old. Um, According to Jewish custom, they would have cleaned the body first, uh, maybe with a a wet rag or or a sponge. Um, But there's there's an intimacy here. They're, They're touching the body. They're wiping Jesus' body. Uh, they cradle him. They wash him. Um, I, I don't know what they would have done about the wounds because at this point, Jesus' body was pretty badly beaten up. Um, but Nicodemus and Joseph are, are handling the cold body of Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's a Jewish custom that's even continued to this day where the people caring for the dead ask the dead for forgiveness. So I imagine that they would have asked for forgiveness and said a few ceremonial prayers over his body. And then they wrapped his body with strips of linen and expensive uh, spices, a mixture of aloe and myrrh. Uh, John says about 75 pounds worth, so the amount that would have been used in the burial of a rich man uh, that Nicodemus paid for. And then there's kind of the the obvious question. Um, Was there any hope? Were Nicodemus and and Joseph hopeful? Was there any expectation that this body, this lifeless body, would rise again? That that his kingdom would yet come? And we, we really don't know. I mean, Scripture doesn't say. All we know is that they laid his body in the tomb and walked away. And that was the burial of Jesus Christ. Like I said, Ryan gives me the depressing weeks. So those are the the three appearances of Nicodemus. And now I want to kind of draw some conclusions from the burial uh, that hopefully maybe have some elements of application also. So what... What, what conclusions can we draw from the text? Uh, first of all, it really stuck out to me that it took Nicodemus a really long time to believe. Like I said, he, we see him first at the very beginning of the Gospels and then at the end of the Gospels. And we, we kind of have a sense of a time frame because uh, in John 2 and then in John 6 and then John 11, those are each uh, Passovers. So probably two and a half years, uh, maybe three years, Uh, It took Nicodemus that long to believe. Uh, Belief takes time. Faith takes time. And occasionally, and I want to emphasize that occasionally, um, belief is instant, it's dramatic, um, it's miraculous even. But more often than not, coming to faith in Jesus is a process, and it takes time. Uh, I think maybe that's why the Bible uses so many uh, farming analogies. A plant takes a really long time to grow. Um, A strong plant, a sturdy plant, takes a really long time. I mean, a a weed maybe sprouts up in a day, but an oak tree, an oak tree takes years to grow. So being born again, being born from above, it takes time. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says... But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is pretty patient with us. He wants us to have faith in him, uh, but God's all right with waiting for the process to happen. God's all right with the time it takes to come to a a place of belief. So if you're here and and you're a Christian, I guess the application is to to be patient. If you have a a friend or a spouse or a co-worker who you're, you're hoping will come to believe, be patient. Keep praying. Have perseverance. It takes time, and that's normal. Um, I think sometimes we think, like, you know, if Jesus was right here, belief would be so easy. Like, if Jesus was here, we could ask him questions, everyone would instantly become a follower. But here's Nicodemus, who saw Jesus, talked to Jesus. It took him two years to become a believer. So be patient. And then if, if you're not a Christian, if you're here, maybe just checking things out or thinking about things, um, take your time. I mean, what, what do you think Nicodemus was doing during those two years? He was probably listening to what Jesus said. He was observing. observing. Uh, he was kind of taking all the evidence and evaluating it for himself and, and making a decision. Is this something for me? Do I really believe? Do I really want to come to faith? So if, if that's you, if you're not really sure, keep coming. Ask us questions and, and take your time. We're, we're not going to pressure you at this church to, to make a decision today. Um, But take the time to to make an honest evaluation. Being born from above takes time. Uh, The second conclusion that um, I drew from this text was that Nicodemus decided to reveal himself as a disciple, even though it would likely cost him everything. Uh, The decision to become a disciple was probably going to cost Nicodemus everything. I mean, who was it that from the very beginning wanted to to stop Jesus? Who was it who wanted him arrested? Who was it who shouted, crucify him, crucify him? Who was it who said, we have no king but Caesar? It was the Pharisees and the religious rulers. These were Nicodemus' people. It was his crowd who was saying, kill Jesus. So for Nicodemus to come forward and be there to bury the body, it was probably going to cost him everything. Earlier in John, we, uh, we, hear, we hear this about the Pharisees. Uh, this is from John chapter 12. It says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of, because of the Pharisees, I'm sorry, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. The fear that they would be excommunicated. So others believed too. There were other uh, Pharisees and members of the ruling council uh, who believed, um, but the cost was too high for them. They knew that they would lose their position, they would lose their title, uh, they would lose the prestige, uh, they would lose the praise of men, they would lose everything um, if they revealed themselves as believers. And the thing that we need to remember is that you don't just become a Pharisee overnight. You don't become a member of the ruling council overnight. This represented a lifetime of work and achievement on behalf of Nicodemus. He had kind of reached the pinnacle 
uh, both religiously and politically, and he's willing to give all of it up. To bury the body of Jesus, he has to give it all up. All of it, gone. And I'm not sure, but um, part, of me is, part of me wants to think that um, Nicodemus thought back to that first encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3. And I kind of stopped short a little bit, um, but Jesus goes on to talk to Nicodemus, and he says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So this, this was two years ago, Jesus said, whoever wants to live by the truth will step into the light, so that what they believe will be seen plainly. So Nicodemus first went to Jesus under the cover of night, uh, but here, Joseph comes by day. Uh, Joseph comes for everyone to see. And no longer does he have the option of being a secret disciple. Nicodemus walks out of the hiddenness of darkness and into the light for all to see, regardless of the cost or consequences. Um, so what's the application? Well, for some of us, it might just mean we need to, uh, we need to stop being secret followers. Uh, it might just mean being a little more uh, public about our faith in Jesus. Uh, don't, don't stay in the darkness, but step into the light and let people know that you're a believer. Uh, but probably for a smaller number of us, um, it might mean dramatic sacrifice. The decision to follow Jesus might really cost you something. And I, I, was, kind of, I was trying to think of some uh, like examples of this. And uh, the most dramatic ones were uh, people who, who converted from, from other religions. Like I have a, I have a friend who's, um, who's Jewish, who still considers themselves Jewish, but became, but became a believer in Jesus. And their family did a symbolic funeral for them. Like you're, you're dead to this family because of your belief in Jesus. That, that's a high cost for discipleship. Um, I, I, I know another guy who is a Muslim who became a Christian and one of his friends, uh, he never reported this to the police, but one of his friends stabbed him in the stomach, like literally tried to murder him. This, this was in New York. This isn't like somewhere else uh, in the world. And he had to get like 100 stitches in his stomach. So probably, probably a smaller number of us. Some of us, it's going to cost us a lot to be disciples. Um, this is, I just want to make a, a very kind of brief caveat um, about this point, um, the reason why the other disciple or the other uh, secret disciples weren't willing to to make it known is for them the cost was too high. Um, the position that they had, the praise that they received from from men, it was the most important thing in their life. And th- just the caveat is that's that's the definition of idolatry. When something else occupies the highest position in your life. When, when you're ascribing highest honor and value to something other than God, that's idolatry. So when we're uh, faced with the decision of the cost of discipleship, just check, check to make sure there's no false idols in your heart. All right, the third conclusion um, that I draw from the burial of Jesus, Nicodemus aligns himself with Jesus in defeat. Nicodemus aligns himself with Jesus in defeat. 
The faith of Nicodemus and of Joseph was extraordinary because they didn't meet, meet Jesus in the triumph of resurrection. They met him in the defeat of burial. They met him at the tomb. We like Easter, right? We like the empty tomb. We like the resurrection because it's a symbol of ultimate victory. But the occupied tomb, the tomb where the deceased Messiah laid, that was a symbol of ultimate defeat. Yet Nicodemus was there, faithful in humiliation, faithful in crushing defeat, faithful in death. Earlier in the Gospel of John, uh, some of the disciples kind of boldly claimed, um, Jesus, we'll go to Jerusalem and die with you. That was kind of their, their rally call. But here at the tomb, they were nowhere to be found. The, the only ones who truly followed Jesus to death were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Whoever serves me must follow me. Nicodemus and Joseph, Pharisees, members of the religious ruling class, the ones who are the bad guys throughout most of the Gospel of John, they're the ones who quite literally followed Jesus, even to the tomb. They gave up everything even before they knew the outcome. They risked everything for a dead Jesus. So the challenge for us is, can we meet God in faith even when we face crushing defeat? Can we meet Jesus in faith at the death of a loved one, at the death of a relationship, at the death of a job, at the death of a dream? Or is our faith only as strong as God's blessing? Do we have the kind of faith to meet Jesus at the occupied tomb? Nicodemus follows Jesus even in defeat. And then to conclude, I, I want to I share a quote, um, which I think kind of hits on a few of these points. Uh, this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German pastor and theologian uh, who is who was martyred for his opposition to to Nazi Germany. Uh, In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, If we refuse to take up our cross and submit to suffering and rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. But if we lose our lives in his service and carry our cross, we shall find our lives again in the fellowship of the cross with Jesus. The opposite of discipleship is to be ashamed of Christ and his cross and all the offense which the cross brings in its train. Following Jesus requires that we meet him at the cross. It requires that we follow him to the tomb. Fortunately for us, we know that it doesn't end there. We know that there's hope and power in resurrection. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the example that we see in scripture of imperfect people uh, coming to you, uh, deserting you, coming to you again. 
Lord, we know that you're patient with us in faith. You want us to to believe, God. You want us to follow you. Uh, We want us to meet you even at the place of death. God, we also... uh, we also, like, we also take claim, God, of the power of the resurrection. Thank you that even death couldn't contain Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.